We're continuing our summer in the Psalms, uh, which are selected Psalms that we're going to be looking at over the course of these summer months, and we're into Psalm 16. Psalm number 16, and if you've got one of our uh, church Bibles, it's page 408. Psalm 16 and page 408. Just as you're finding your way there, uh, one Bible teacher, a man by the name of Alec Mottier, he says that the Psalms were written by people who knew less about God than we do, but yet often appeared to love him more dearly. I find that a very challenging statement. When we live as we do now, knowing that God has been revealed fully in the person of Jesus the one God sent to be our saviour. We have come to see God in a way that people like David who wrote this psalm, probably written about 3,000 years ago, didn't know God. But yet the expressions that are given to us in the songs and the poems here in the book of Psalms give us an insight into the depth of love and commitment that people had to God who had revealed himself to them in some way. Challenging statement that. Let's read the psalm together and uh, we'll make some comments about it and uh, see why it's important to be in God's word and why it applies to us. So Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations or drink offerings of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. And with him at my right hand I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. There's a lot in this short little song that was written by David. Most likely out of a difficult and stressful situation. The little superscription at the top of the psalm says a miktam of David you have a number of these superscriptions throughout the psalms and sometimes the words that are there it's been very difficult for the translators of Hebrew to know exactly what those words mean but some have said that a miktam is very closely related to another Semitic language from the same region uh, from Akkadian Babylonian language and the word means to cover a vessel, so you're thinking about a pot that has a cover over it to protect what's in it. 
and to hide what's in it. I think that's an interesting one because if you just do a little study uh, for the other miktams that we have in the, in the Psalms, we find that there are six in total, all written by David. This one, we're not sure of the circumstances, but there's something where he's wanting to be rescued from potential death. Psalm 56 verse 1, that's also a miktam of David, and it's a time whenever the Philistines had seized him in Gath, it says. So he was in threat of his life. Psalm 57 verse 1, when David was running for his life from Saul and he was hiding in a cave. Psalm 58 verse 1, it's when the mighty leaders of probably foreign armies were pursuing him. And his life was threatened. Psalm 59 verse 1. When Saul sent assassins to David's house to kill him. His life was threatened. And then Psalm 60 verse 1 is written when David had actually become the king. And he's facing pressure from a southern army. While his efforts are focused in the north. And suddenly this army's taking its time and its opportunity to come in and is a threat to life. So these miktams uh, come out of David's experience when it seems that his life or the life of those that he loves is under threat. Or maybe he's in a place where he's longing to be knowing the covering and protection of God. Or maybe he's in a constrained space where he's not able to sing his songs because he was the great songwriter of Israel. He's not able to sing them in the way he would because the pressure of his circumstances has come. There are times in our lives when pressure just seems to come in and there is sometimes maybe not the desire to vocalize our joy and our praise and we feel constrained by that. I think there's a little lesson here in this Miktam and the others is that that doesn't prevent us within ourselves as we see here. It doesn't prevent us running over the things of who God is and taking and finding our joy in him, even in dark and difficult circumstances. So David begins the psalm. And he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Here's David declaring, God is the one I'm going to find my safe place in. Even when there are Threats coming. David might have been sick. Or it might have been an enemy that was coming against him. God even in this circumstance. I find my place of refuge in you. You know that's a wonderful theme. That is throughout the scriptures. That we're to find refuge in God. You know the reality of. What it means to be a Christian. Is that we are people. Who have. Run to God. To be saved from the consequences and the effects of our sin. The Bible describes God as a consuming fire in his holiness. And that he cannot allow sin to come anywhere near him. And we as sinners inherently we have sin. And we cannot naturally approach God in our sinfulness. And actually the greatest threat to us as human beings. Is not the threats that are in this world. But it's the threat of God himself. In his holiness, in his perfections, against us and against our sin. The judgment of God hangs over us all. But yet God himself 
is the only one who could provide a safe place for us to run to. And he's done that in the person of Jesus, the Saviour. The Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. And Jesus came and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and oppressed, I'll give you rest. There's an invitation from Jesus to all of us to run to him. And why would we find safety from God in Jesus? It's because he is the son of God. Here is God himself providing in himself the place of refuge and rescue from his holiness and from his judgment. There's no other place we can run to. We must run to Jesus. And because Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins, it says. The New Testament tells us he bore our sins in his body on the tree. It says and it tells us that God the Father poured out his judgment against, his punishment against our sins on Jesus if we trust that he has done that for us. And we realise that the only way to be safe and to be saved and to be saved from God is to come to the saviour that God has provided. There is salvation in no other name. No other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And we recognise our sinfulness. And we recognise there's nothing and nowhere we can go to escape from God's punishment of our sins. But there is a way. And there is a place, and it's Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the way you come to the Father. Come to me and have peace. Trust me. I've died for your sins. Your sins, if you believe it, are forgiven. I hope all of us here know what it is to say, God, I'm sorry for being a sinner. Thank you for giving Jesus to die for me. I come and I embrace the freedom and the forgiveness that we can all know in Jesus Christ. My God, David says, in you I take refuge. You're the safest place in life. Keep me safe. So for those who have run to God for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for the security of eternal life, then we can keep appealing to this God who loves us so much. And we can say, will you keep me safe? You know, the New Testament tells us that God will always keep us safe. Even when difficulties come in, what is most important is the safety of our souls, not necessarily our bodies. If God takes our lives, then we're still safe with him, secure in the Saviour. Verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my God. You know, the Hebrew from which this is translated into English really says this, oh, my soul. And a soul in the Bible is the whole of who we are. It says in Genesis chapter one that when God made humanity, he breathed into them the breath of life and they became a living soul. It was the fullness of life. And here is David saying, it's, From deep within, it's with all of me. Lord, I'm crying out to you. You are my Lord. And the word Lord there is the Hebrew word Adonai, which is the the word that means you're the one who is sovereign and you have all power. And because of who you are, God, you're to be honoured. And you have all power. 
You, my Lord, and I have no good without you or apart from you. I have no good thing. You know, when we realize with all of our being that our ultimate good is to be found in a relationship with God, it transforms life. It makes the difficulties of this life different. It gives us hope in darkness. And our souls can cry out to God and say, I have no good apart from you. In this little verse here, my soul says to the Lord, that's the name Yahweh. So it's different from the Lord that's mentioned later, Adonai. Yahweh is the name that God revealed to Moses to give to his people Israel, into whom he had entered into a wonderful, loving, covenant relationship. Here's the God who comes and in his love enters into a covenant of love with those who trust him. And David's crying out to this one. And he says, you're the sovereign one. And I realize, God, even though my circumstances are hard, I have no good apart from you. Somebody has said it this way, my good is not beyond you. So we look at God and we see that God is all that is good. Yes, he gives us good things and many blessings. A big problem with sin is that when we, we love the things that God gives us in this life, and we ignore the one who's given them because he is ultimately the good. Let's not ever get caught up with the stuff that God might give us in his goodness. And just take it and use it without any regard or any thankfulness to God. There's no good beyond God. And it takes an effort on our part to recognize that and to spend time looking in the Bible and discussing it with other people who are on the same path of righteousness that we've been brought onto to realize that yes, God is all good. He is good to me. David goes on and he says in verse 3, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Now then stick with me on this one please. This is a very difficult portion of Hebrew to translate. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I just do the research and use what everybody else gives. But they, the people who've been engaged in translating say this is really difficult Hebrew to translate. And most English texts will say it like this, where David was saying, there are holy people, people who are set apart to God in the land, and they're noble, and I, I have a joy in them. So David counted himself with them, and he had joy in people who were like him pursuing the things of God. But there are some who say that maybe verse 3 should be more closely associated with verse 4 and translated in this way. As for God's chosen people who are in the land and their leading officials, their troubles multiply because they desire other gods. I'm not going to pour out their drink offerings and I'll not make vows in the names of their gods. So the Hebrew might be saying, and I wonder if it fits better with the whole sense of the psalm, that David is in a situation where he's recognizing that even the leaders of the people of Israel, they've become faithless, unfaithful to God. And they've started to go after other gods and they've allowed other things, the good that they think is beyond God, to come in. 
And they've put all their efforts and energies into that. And that's leading the people into destructive practices. And David says, I'm not going to touch that. You know, in a world that is so set against God, sometimes it's easy to feel like, well, just go with the flow a little bit. David was not going with the flow at all. And I actually think this alternative way of rendering it, and it is in an English translation called the New English Translation, which tries to be very uh, um, close to the Hebrew and gives you lots of assistance in understanding it. I think here's David saying, I'm not going to compromise. God, I know I have no good beyond you. I'm not going to touch this. The drink offerings of blood that are mentioned here. You know, the gods of the nations back then, the way that they would honour those gods was to pour out blood. God never asked of blood drink offerings. He asked of wine to be poured out. Blood is the product of, of vengeance and violence. And that's what we see in the world when people pursuing other gods other than God. Rather, God wants us to pour out something which gladdens the heart of man as it's described in, in the Psalms. Psalm 145, I think it is. Wine which makes the heart glad. It's out of the gladness of knowing God that we pour things out to God. So we've dealt with verse 4, I think, almost. And it says that these ones have given up on God and they've gone after other gods. And the word actually that's in the mix there is, is a word that can be translated bartered. It's almost as if, well, we've got, we've got Yahweh and then we've got all these other gods. We've had enough of Yahweh. Well, let's do a deal and we'll take the others. There's this bartering process. Don't ever give up on God. The language of verse 4, where it says they will suffer more and more. Again, in the Hebrews, Hebrew, it means their pains will be multiplied. And there's a very, very close link back to Genesis 3. Where God pronounced the curse on the, the couple and on the ground and on the serpent. Because of their sin, he said twice, pain will be multiplied. It's the same phrase in the Hebrew. Your pains will be multiplied. You've turned away from doing the things of God. Your pains will be multiplied. But thank God that he is the God of grace who invites us to come back and to know his love and his grace. David goes on then to say that Yahweh, the Lord, is my portion, is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And he supports his law. David's probably at this time on the run and he's displaced from the, the territory that had been given to his family as part of the allocation of the promised land to the people of Israel. He's displaced from that. He's not able to enjoy the fruitfulness of it. You know, that land was never to be given up. It was to be handed back if it ever had to be mortgaged for any reason. It had to be handed back every 50 years. God says once it's allocated, it's yours. And David's displaced from it. And he's in a place of displacement. And even then he realises, yeah, the land is good. But actually the Lord is my inheritance. There's a wonderful verse in Romans chapter 8 that says that God, who gave us his son, will freely, along with him, give us all things. We have a promise in Christ that we will be given everything of God himself we trust in him he brings us into the blessing of eternal life and the guarantees of all of the inheritance that belongs to God himself 
That's why David could say, the land allocation, of course, that's special. But God, you being my portion and you being my cup, my source of joy, that's the greatest of things. He goes on to say, doesn't he, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. He might have been thinking about the land inheritance in Bethlehem where he and his family had their place. But he's thinking about God here and he's saying, well, God has made himself open to me. And in him, I have so much blessing and fruitfulness. I was thinking about how Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 in terms of an application for us. Finding our satisfaction in God. Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. He wrote in Philippians 4 verse 11. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Why? Because he knew God as his saviour. He knew God was good above it all. And he would be content in whatever circumstances he would go through in this life. Knowing that he ultimately would be ushered into the glorious presence of God. Verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. This God who is good loves to guide. And he guides through his word, the Bible. For David it was the Torah, first five books of our Bible. And through his memorization of that he was able to be guided by God in his circumstances. Whatever was coming he would think, what is it that God has said I should do here? And that's what God does for those who trust in Jesus. That then is the need to be filling the mind with the things of God and reading God's word and seeing the way and the path of righteousness that is marked out for us. We fill our minds. And David, when he says, when he's in the nighttime, and we know that in the nighttime so often is when those pressures come in even more sharply and we're struggling to sleep and those anxieties are there. He says, even at night, my mind instructs me. He's put the word of God in his mind and his mind instructs him and brings him into a place of peace and security again with his God. The lesson is obvious, I think, for us. And then goes on to verse 8. I keep my eyes always in the Lord. Or as uh, maybe a, a closer rendering would say, I have always set the Lord before me. We were thinking about this at Northern Irish Camp the other day. And uh, I've set the Lord before me. Here was an intention on David's part. I'm going to put the Lord there. If he is the greatest of good, I'm going to put him in front of me. And I'm going to decide at certain times in the day, first thing in the morning, ah, I want to see the Lord. And then after this, I want to see him there. And I'm going to, I want to see him there. But then he goes on to say, but he's always at my right hand and therefore I won't be shaken. David knows that God is with him all the time. But he has a responsibility and a duty to place the Lord always before him. Therefore, he goes on to say, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. And my body will also rest secure. Here's security. The previous verses spoke of stability. Here we have security. David recognizing the good that is in God. And the refuge that brings stability, but it also brings security. Notice that he uses phrases to describe the whole of his being. He says, my heart is glad. That's the executive control center of our, of our living. My heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also dwells securely. Here was David caught up 
with who God was for him. God was his inheritance, but he also realised that he was part of God's inheritance. Something precious to God, and therefore his heart was glad. Therefore his tongue rejoiced, and his body would rest secure. Then we come to verses 10 and 11, and they're quoted twice in the New Testament. One by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and another occasion by Paul in Acts 13 when he was preaching in uh, Pisidian Antioch. And it's a text that's taken up and applied to the Lord Jesus. David, in his experience here, was knowing in the stability and the security of his relationship with God that in that moment, God was not going to give him over to death. He was going to be delivered from death. But when Peter speaks in the day of Pentecost, and we don't have the time to turn there, we read that Peter says David was a prophet And he spoke about the Christ, the Messiah, the one God had promised who would be the great saviour. And he applies these verses and he quotes them there. And he says, this is the Jesus who was raised from the dead. The one who died was raised from the dead. So when David is knowing a deliverance from death, it's then applied to the Lord Jesus who was delivered through death by resurrection. This is the central plank, if we can say that, of the Christian faith. That not only has Jesus come and revealed that he is the Son of God and that he has died on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven, it would mean nothing if he was not alive because eternal life would be nothing without a living Saviour. And these verses are taken. You'll not abandon me to, to the realm of the dead. You'll not allow your faithful one to see decay. Jesus His body knew no corruption because he was in the grave and raised on the third day after his death. He was raised up. If you've got the time and you want to look at it yourself, go and see how Peter applies this to Jesus. David delivered from death in this experience. Jesus delivered through death by resurrection. And you know what? It means for all of us who put our trust in Jesus we also are delivered through death in the same way. The New Testament teaches us that the Christian's assurance is at the moment of death, we are with our Saviour. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, Paul spoke about being at home with the Lord. That when we pass out of this life instantly, at home with the Lord. What a wonderful uh, image to have in our minds. What security and stability and goodness is there for us to consider. In Philippians 1 verse 23, Paul said in his circumstances, he said it would be, it would be preferable if I was to die because I could depart and be with Christ. An instant thing. But he said, if I'm to stick around, it's for your benefit. So I'll do that. But that's what the Bible teaches, that because Jesus was delivered through death and resurrected, so we also, through faith, at the moment of death, are instantly with the Lord. And later, our bodies will be raised in the same way that Jesus was. And we will have a glorified body to share in the glories of God's presence for eternity. You make known to me, verse 11, the path of life. You fill me 
with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Here was David confident that the God who had come and become his refuge, his place of stability, his place of safety, that he realized that there was no good beyond God. Here he is and he's saying, this God is going to be the one who continues to guide me in the path of life. He guides and he guides and he guides. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. The wise man said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. What a wonderful promise to us. Now then, just to finish. You will fill me with joy in your presence. The word for presence is the word in Hebrew, pane, which means your face. What a, what a place to finish. Here's David, who's in the stress of his circumstances, and he says, to know you face to face is a place that fills me with joy. Now, God doesn't have a face because God is spirit. But this is a, a turn of phrase that describes the intimacy of a relationship, as we will do when we have a a personal conversation with another person. You do it face to face. It, it, it's much better than maybe video calls or whatever. That personal interaction face to face. David says for him to know God personally with no barrier. Is a wonderful, joyful situation to be in. And knowing that in this life guarantees the eternal pleasures that are at God's right hand. God will lift all those who trust in Jesus the Saviour to share in his glory forever. We'll see his face. And we'll see it forever. Surely this spurs us on then today to live in a way that wants us to pursue the goodness of God by looking for him and finding him in his word. If you search for me, you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then begins the exploration of the relationship with God that we can know. Which David tells us something of here. I hope this is an encouragement to us to go on and to pursue more of knowing who God is. Let's pray.